You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For the Now media production. Greetings to the 106th episode of Null and Void Sports Podcast. You are listening in one of the 39 countries across the world that now receive this podcast. This week's episode is bursting with a large number of top sports stories. A range of contacts, in this case, telling us when and where you listen. Andy has got a get a grip that you just wouldn't want to be on the receiving end of. Finally, follow all of that with our guest, a multi-marathoner, a long-distance walker, sports psychologist, coach, you name it, but more importantly, a friend of Null and Void, Andy McManamy. My name is Tony Grundy. And mine's Andy Callahan. Now, my weekend was made up of watching football, tennis, and the fact is that, and netball actually, whilst doing battle in the garden again with nettles and thistles. One of the matches I did watch, I think I would rather have been stung by nettles than watch it. How about you, Andy? Uh, Mine was a a good weekend, catching up with uh, some friends on Saturday at the uh, Sonning Common Village Fair, and then a barbecue and a couple of cold libations to keep away the heat, um, watching the same uh, football that you were. Um, i got to say, I wasn't as upset. I certainly wouldn't have chosen nettles over it, but uh, <laughs> it was a bit of a doer affair, got to admit. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll sort of talk about it later. Now, the first sport I've got on my list, I think we've invented a new sport here, uh, not on void, weight walking. Tell us about that, because we definitely mentioned it last week. How did it go? Well, I don't think we can take credit for inventing it, Tony, but I think that credit has to go to Davey Duker. Um, He's the guy that was undertaking, we mentioned last week, uh, Britain's heaviest hike, walking the nine kilometres and climbing up to a level of 4,411 feet as he was climbing Ben Nevis with a 100-kilogram barbell on his shoulders in support of the My Name's Doddy Foundation uh, for motor neurone disease. And he'd said that he was carrying that barbell to symbolise the burden that the people who are diagnosed with motor neurone disease and their families have to carry once they're given that diagnosis. So... He completed it, an amazing um, achievement. It looked brutal. And at times through the night, he admitted he'd gone to some very, very dark places. But after 17 hours with just a 30-minute nap through the night, he reached the top of the summit of Ben Nevis. Amazing, inspirational feat. And uh, I'd recommend our listeners to have a look at his Instagram page, which is Britain's underscore heaviest underscore hike to see some of the pictures, some of the videos, some of the photos to see what an amazing achievement it was. He'd set a target of fundraising £10,000 for the My Name's Doddy Foundation. Well, currently, I just checked before we started recording on Tuesday, he's absolutely smashed that. It's currently sitting at just over £19,000. So, what an amazing achievement by Davy Duper. Fantastic. And you got a message from him, didn't you? Yeah, I dropped him a note to say well done and congratulations on what an amazing 
inspirational achievement. And he just dropped me one back to say, uh, thanks, Andy. That means a lot. Uh, I'm sorry for the delay. As you can imagine, it's been a hectic few days. So, you know, the guy is an absolute legend and very, very humble with such an achievement. And, uh, you know, in fact, his, his young son, who's only nine years old, wanted to do the whole walk with him. And I think Davey and his family decided that might be a little bit too risky at that age for um, walking through the night up to the top of the mountain. But he, he led them out. His nine-year-old son led them out up to the first rest point, which I think was about an hour, hour and a bit into the walk. And his son was walking with a 10-kilogram barbell on his shoulders and carrying that. So the, the two of them are absolutely mad, but absolutely brilliant in terms of what they're doing and what Davy and his family are doing to raise funds and awareness for the My Name's Doddy Foundation. Yeah, inspirational stuff. Okay, uh, football. First uh, thing, I wanted to congratulate West Ham United on winning the Europa Conference Cup final. It was the Hammers' first trophy for over 40 years. Jared Bowen scored the winning goal against the Italian uh, club Florentino. And they, Florentino, in fairness, matched West Ham stride for stride. So it was overall quite a good game. Um, but great to see the West Ham celebrations afterwards, particularly the dad dancing of West Ham manager David Moyes has got a lot of attention. Uh, in, in fairness to him, he's been through quite a lot. Even this season at West Ham, people were saying, they should sack him. So, and, and the great thing for West Ham is they get elevated into the Europa League next season, even mm. though their league position wouldn't have gotten that because of the win. So, well done uh, to them. And uh, so, yeah, uh, Andy, you got something? Yeah, um, there was another European final on Saturday night, which was the Champions League final, the pinnacle of European football. Um, do you want to talk about it, Tony? I've told you, Tony, before that not talking about it doesn't work on a podcast. That's not the way this medium works. But uh, yeah, City have completed the treble. Um, so they beat Inter Milan to win the Champions League final. Not the greatest of games, certainly as a neutral. I've got to say I wasn't overly infused by the game. It was very much a tactical game and a lot of counter-attacking by both sides. So just a Rodri goal in the 68th minute separating City from Inter Milan. But that, that won't worry Pep Guardiola's team. That was enough for them to secure the league, the FA Cup and the Champions League treble. They become only the second English side to complete that. And some might argue the first from Manchester to complete that treble. First from Manchester? What's that supposed to mean? We well, were the, 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 other the other club that did it are from Salford. No, they're not. We're from Stratford. That's where we... <laughs> and they're, we were first. We were they're first. not from the city of Manchester. Come on, they're not really from Manchester. Manchester's yeah. blue. Right. See, <laughs> see how City go on when they answer all the charges. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen a single bulletin on TV about it. The second they blew the final whistle, it went off. I'm not childish, but on Sunday, the sports section of the Times... Um, went in the bin, so I haven't seen anything. <laughs> I don't want to hear any more about it. So now, Callahan, shut up. I want to talk about the Lionesses. They've got a friendly against Portugal on the 1st of July. As 
part of their preparations for the World Cup. It's going to be played at MK Don Stadium. Um, and yeah, it, it, they then go on to Australia and New Zealand for the final in July, August. Apparently, when they get there early on, they're going to play behind closed doors, friendly against Canada, obviously to acclimatise. So a lot more to come on that. Exciting times ahead. Hopefully, they're going to repeat the Euro success. So, yeah, they're in the group, just to say, to remind you, and there'll be more of this later, they're in a group with Denmark, China and Haiti. So we'll see how things pan out for them. I got tennis next, and then I've watched quite a bit of the tennis over the weekend. Some really good stuff. Um, Igor Swiatek uh, beat qualifier uh, Katrina Machova, the Czech Republic player, who put up a brave fight. Swiatek I watched in the first set easily win the first set, and I thought, oh, here we go, two sets, all done. But actually went through to a third set, and Machova really hung on in there. And she was impressive and clearly is one to watch going forward. So uh, uh, Swiatek won. On Sunday, Novak uh, Djokovic showed, I think, what a great champion he is. Not my favourite person, but after losing the first set to Norwegian Kaspar Rudd, powered his way to a, a victory, but was pushed all the way in a superb match. The victory gives Djokovic, as we probably all know now, the 23rd Grand Slam, overtaking Nadal. That's a record that may well last for many, many years. And he hasn't finished yet, of course. It's not like he's retiring. <laughs> so he ain't finished yet. As long as he can win tournaments, he will. But regardless of his personality, as an athlete, he's absolutely outstanding. Um, one note for Brits was that Alpha Hewitt uh, and Gordon Reid took the doubles wheelchair title, which was good. Golf, Andy, you've got some notes on golf. Yes. Well, it's the US Open coming up this weekend, as we record. So it's being held at the LA Country Club North Course. And we've got a note from our regular golf expert and a golf pro, Andy Wild, who gives us a bit of a rundown on it. He says... Um, this is the uh, one of the oldest country clubs in America, established in 1897, and is number 16 in America's top 100 courses. He says it's overlooked by the infamous Playboy Mansion that both you and Tony would know about having seen the course from the mansion. Andy, that's a scurrilous rumour, and there's no proof of that whatsoever. Um, so, prove, uh, prove it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So... Um, Andy's uh, top four predictions, he's not said in which order, but he thinks that Scotty Scheffler came second at the Memorial, despite being the worst part of that week. Uh, John Rahm, uh, Victor Hovland, and an outside bet would be Tommy Fleetwood. He also says, I'd love to say Rory, but question mark. Um, and then finally, the purse is $17.5 million dollars of which the winner gets 3.15 million. So worth getting up for, says Andy. So just to repeat, his top four are Scotty Scheffler, John Rahm, Victor Hovland, and an outside bet of Tommy Fleetwood. But then Tommy Fleetwood was just narrowly defeated in Canada this week, wasn't he, Tony? Yeah, I mean, it was quite something. I did see the putt, but he was going on to play, he was going playoff holes 
uh, with Nick Taylor, the Canadian. Uh, and on this particular hole where it looked very much as if Fleetwood was going to win it because uh, Nick Taylor was 72 foot away with his putt. And I watched this putt as Fleetwood did and it went past Fleetwood and it just carried on going and carried on going into the hole, winning the Canadian Open. For the first time for 60 odd years, a Canadian has won the Canadian Open. So Nick Taylor's done really well. But the look on Fleetwood's face was, well, as you imagine, anybody's would be to say, I don't believe what I've just seen. Uh, it said afterwards, uh, he, he was very philosophical. Well, there's not a lot else you can be, to be honest. But uh, yeah, hopefully. I mean, you've got, you got, got to almost say if you're the opponent, if, if, if your man slots a 72 foot putt to win it, then he deserves to win it. Yeah, well, that's the case. And he definitely did. So uh, good stuff. And we'll see how the Open goes as it uh, starts this week. I've got a note on athletics, Andy, on the Diamond League moving to Paris, and more records were broken. I mean, Keely Hodgkinson took three seconds off the British record for 800 metres, finishing in 155.77. Laura Muir did well, Andy, um, not in position, but she did quite effectively in that race, yeah? Yeah, ran a personal best in the, that wasn't in that race, Laura Muir, who's normally a 1500 metres runner, stepped up to the 5,000, as did Faith Kipyugon. Um, and so Faith Kipyugon ran a world record in that 5,000 metres just seven days after breaking the 1,500 metres world yeah. record in Florence. So um, she added that one to her tally, winning a hard-fought race. It took up until really two bends from home for her to break her opponent, but winning it in a world record time of 14 minutes, 5.20 seconds. But Laura Muir is better known for 1,500 metres running. Mm. And that's one of her first or one of her rare steps up to the 5,000 metre um, mark. And she ran a sub-15 uh, race, which for her is a personal best and a great marker. And obviously shows that she's got the endurance in the legs as we get into the championship stages of this season and hopefully her um, winning medals in the 1,500. There was also um, a world record for Lamech Germer in the uh, men's 3,000 metre steeplechase. He overcame extreme fatigue in the final lap, to, and the Ethiopian took the world record in 7 minutes 52.11 seconds. And then the third world record was Norwegian middle distance runner um, Jakob Ingebrigtsen who ran a, they were running a race that's rarely run the two mile distance. Oh. And he ran that in, get this Tony, two miles in seven minutes, 54.10 seconds. I mean, that's yeah. flying. Yeah. Moving swiftly on as he was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Next cricket. What's, what's happening there? And there's loads coming up. Yep, loads going on. So the Ashes, the men's Ashes, the Mashes, as we're going to be calling it over the summer, um, as opposed to the Washes, the women's Ashes, um, starts this week. Uh, so England against Australia at Edgbaston. So, you know, hold on to your seats. And then next week, the Washes starts with the first test at Nottingham. That myself and our football correspondent, Billy Carr, will be heading up for. So, but Australia warmed up for the Mashes with a 209-run victory over India in the World Test Championship Series final at the Oval. 
So uh, carrying 173 lead into the second innings, um, Australia then made 270 for eight on day four to set India a, what would have been a world record chase of 444. So quadruple Nelson to uh, win. So India started the final day on 164 for three, but when Virat Kohli edged to slip in the seventh over of the day, Australia just rattled through and it only took them another 17 overs to wrap up Indians innings for captain Pat Cunnings, Australian captain Pat Cunnings to lift the mace. It's a world world championship trophy is a giant mace. So he lifted that for the first time. Uh, we'll come back to some of the controversy around the uh, dismissal and the catch or not catch by Cameron Green of Indian batter Shubman Gill later on in the show. But in women's cricket, the Charlotte Edwards Cup final, um, the sides in that were shorn of their England players who were going to be playing in the Washes. They were uh, in camp. But who would have who would have thought cricket in amongst the heat wave that there was this weekend? Uh, cricket would be probably the only sport to be rained off. Due to the heavy yeah. rain from the thunderstorms on Saturday, uh, the Worcester pitch at New Road was completely flooded and play had to be abandoned. So I had to come back and finish on Sunday. So the Southern Vipers had played Manchester Thunder in the semi-final on Saturday morning and Southern Vipers won that. And they then went through to the final to beat Blaze. So what were formerly Loughborough Lightning, now Blaze, um, who had previously, up to Sunday, been the only professional team in the whole of the UK to have not lost a game so far this season. Well, that run came to an end because uh, Southern Vipers beat them by seven wickets. And England's Danny Wyatt starred with the bat, hitting 50 off 28 balls. And former England bowler Anya Shrubsoul, um, who was so key in that 50-over World Cup win in 2017, she signed off with uh, two wickets in at the end of the game, announced that she'll be retiring once this year's 100 has been completed. So great way for her to start her swan song season. Okay, I've got netballer and uh, I've watched a lot of netball, as you know, this time. And I've really been impressed with the athleticism of the players. Really impressive throughout. Uh, so quick. Uh, and yeah, really brilliant athletes. Um, I really did enjoy the playoff semis and finals this weekend. And in the end, London Pulse lost. And I thought they might have, they did finish first in the table to begin with. Um, slightly surprisingly to Loughborough Lightning. But having watched Loughborough win in these semis against Manchester Thunder, they were very impressive then and definitely uh, deserved winners in the final at the Copper Bowl. Um, and it's ahead, of course, of the World Cup in Africa. OK, uh, Rugby Union next, Andy. Yeah, well, staying with um, women's playoffs, it was the um, playoffs in the Allianz Women's Premier 15s. Uh, so that season goes to a playoff ahead of the final, which is on the 24th of June at Gloucester's Kingsholm. So Gloucester Hartbury beat Bristol Bears 21-12. At King's Home, fantastic crowd we're in. Uh, BT Sport were televising it. And that means that they've made the final for the first time. Whilst Exeter kept their hopes of a double alive, they won the um, Allianz Cup earlier on in the season. And they beat Saracens with a late try, two minutes from time, 
They were, uh, I think it was 17-21 down, scored the try, got the conversion with two minutes to go uh, to put them into the final for the first time. So they're on course potentially for a League and Cup double in only their third season in existence, which shows what can happen if you really put the the funding, the support and the structure in place for the programme for these teams. Okay. Um, What have you got on Rugby League? Yeah, well, we've got new leaders at the top. The Catalans beat Hull, Hull Kingston Rovers, to mean that they now take over at the top of the table from Warrington on points difference. The Wolves won a tight game against Huddersfield to keep the pressure up on the French side. The Catalans are now the leaders. St Helens beat local rivals Wigan quite comprehensively, 34-16, so taking bragging rights in that derby. Uh, Salford and Lee moved into the top four with wins over Castleford and Hull, respectively. And the wait is finally over. After 14 league games and one cup game without a win, Wakefield finally got off the mark. (laughs) However, the downside of that for me was they beat my side, Leeds Rhinos, 24-14. And that was despite having their forward Hugo Salabio sent off on his debut for a horrendous spear tackle. So he's been on trial with Wakefield. His first game, and he's now facing what could be up to, well, previous uh, instances similar to that have got a 10-game ban. So he's facing quite a spell on the sidelines um, for that after his debut. But it was a winning start. Wakefield are finally off the mark. So who knows if this could be the start of the great escape for them. It would be as well, wouldn't it? it? would be. OK, contacts next. Now, a question that I'm always interested in, as far as podcasts are concerned, is when people listen and where they listen. We know there's 39 countries across the world now. But firstly, we had Anne Callahan, your mum, listening in Mauritius while sitting under a palm tree. OK, very nice. Then Rosemary Conover tells me for the next four weeks, she will be listening in Lanzarote. And then Hugh Davis Davis uh, tells me he loves listening to Nolan Void, but always on a Friday at his home in Tenerife. Friday because he's most relaxed then. And he's spoken to some of the people locally uh, about Nolan Void and thinks they're now joining in uh, the, the, the sessions. So he really enjoys it. Thanks, Hugh. Thanks for that. Have you got somebody, Andy, in terms of where they're listening? Yeah, my friend Brian Robinson, um, or Councillor Brian Robinson now. Um, He was one of the friends I spent the uh, Saturday with. And he was telling me that he he listens intermittently. He's not a regular subscriber, which we need to have a talk about. But um, he sets his um, phone up quite often to fall asleep listening to uh, (laughs) words and spoken words of a podcast. On an evening, not ours. He's not saying we're so boring we put him to sleep. But he says what he's disconcerting disconcerting to him, his phone just will then, once the podcast he's set to play and fall asleep to has finished, his phone will randomly pick out any podcast, almost like on a shuffle. And he said there's been a number of times he's woken up at one, two in the morning with me talking to him in his sleep 
as uh, as he wakes up as OIMA. He says it's very disconcerting. So he's quite worried that are we sending him subliminal messages <laughs> in his sleep um, whilst he's listening? So, so Rob, if it's a Saturday night and you're asleep and you are listening, you want to subscribe to Null and Void when you wake up. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit pathetic the way we get our listeners, but we don't mind. <laughs> we don't mind. <laughs> good, good stuff. Good story. Now, um, get a grip, Andy. What have you got for us? Yeah, so I foreshadowed this by mentioning the World Test Championship finals. So I think it's fair to say that Australia were comprehensively the better side. Their batters oh, yeah. put on some great runs. You know, um, Smudger Smith looking in worrying form ahead of the Ashes coming up, and their bowlers bowled brilliantly. Um, Going to have a go at the Indian cricket team, their captain, one of their main batters, and their fans. So in the second innings, Shubman Gill was given out by the TV umpire for a catch by Cameron Green, and you couldn't see if it hit the ground or not. It was one of those really close ones. It looks like his fingers are under the ball, but has it hit the ground first or not? They looked at different angles. They looked at it. The, the umpire on the field had given it out. Um, Rohit Sharma, the captain, reviewed it, which is his right to do so. The TV umpire upheld the on-field umpire's decision. The fans in the stadium then disgracefully started just chanting, cheat, 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 cheat at Cameron Green. He's not the one that's given it out. You know, he thought with those, I've been there myself, you know, as a catcher, a slip fielder, and as a wicketkeeper, sometimes you can't tell whether the ball has hit the ground or not. You know, and the umpire's given the decision as the umpires are there to do so. So that was disgraceful. Then on social media, Indian fans, and there are some out there, I will go in at times just to, to wind them up and bait them and get a reaction on some of the social media posts. But they've gone on there making some really horrendous and horrible comments about Cameron Green and also target it at his girlfriend as well, which is completely out of order. You know, no matter what you think of the decision and whether you like it or not, by all means, criticise the decision. Don't criticise the player. Don't criticise the umpires. And certainly don't bring someone's family um, into it. There's no need for that at all. The batter, Shubman Gill, has inflamed things with a comment on Twitter, implying that the umpires needed glasses now, the ICC have fined him 15% of his match fee for this, which is paltry, really, when you think that actually India were fined 90% of their match fee for not complete, for being five overs short in their bowling figures. So actually, he's now got to pay back 5%. But overall, you know, 15% for those sort of comments, bringing the game into disrepute, but 90% for being five overs short. There seems to be an imbalance there. And as I say, I think there's been disgraceful behaviour by the fans, by Gill. The captain, Rohit Sharma, continued it in the post-game interview, blaming that decision for their defeat, rather than the lack of runs by the batters and the poor bowling by the bowlers. And he also came out saying the World Test Championship should be three games, as that would be fairer. Well, Pat Cummings had quite a good riposte to that when he was asked. He said, well, why not have a 50-match series? Because that would be even fairer. And if you think about it, the Olympics, the NRL, the AFL, they all come down to one race or one game to win a gold. So why should cricket be any different? So but rather than me tell the Indian fans 
Shubman Gill and Rohit Sharma to get a grip. I'll leave the last words to Cameron Green, who is alleged to have said, well, mate, they're just salty AF because they're losing another ICC final. I don't care if the ball hit the grass. They won't and they won't engrave that on the trophy, will they? So Indian fans, Rohit Sharma and Shubman Gill, get a grip. You lost, deal with it. And for goodness sake, do not start bringing people's families into your complaints, your tears and your salty comments on social media. Okay, mate. I think you've had a go there. That's fair enough. Yeah, I'm a little bit worried. I mean, there's there's a, over a billion people in India, so I'm a bit outnumbered if they decide that they uh, want to take vengeance. Yes. Uh, so, <laughs> listener, dear listener, it was Andy's comments. <laughs> Thanks, chicken, mate. Chicken, chicken, chicken. Yeah. Right. Okay. Why why don't we get to our guest tonight? Let's raise a tone. Yeah, really looking forward to this. This is someone who's always great when he comes on to Null and Void, always uplifting, inspirational, and some <laughs> really great content. Um, but really interesting this time, this is a man who, I think back in the 4th of May, so Star Wars Day, uh, decided that he wasn't quite happy with how he was looking and maybe some uh, changes needed to be made around his um, health fitness regime. Now, he's not someone who's then gone out and done the full beach body crash diet, you know, work on it for a month and lose 30 days or uh, one of these sort of, you know, uh, BS ones at the macho BS that you see from all these online trainers on social media, you know, a thousand, hundred thousand crunches before breakfast. But Andy has been really working hard, but in, in a quite sort of, I would think methodical and very different way that I think a lot of our listeners could apply into their life and their lifestyle. So to talk to us around that, about, you know, where it all started and what he's been doing to achieve some fantastic results, gives me great pleasure to introduce friend of the show, Andy McManamy. So how are you doing, Andy? Excellent, gentlemen. Lovely to see you and speak to you again. How are you? Yeah, we're, we're going well, mate. Lovely to see you as well. I'm glad that we could uh, entice you back to... Uh talk more as andy, it, it, it's a pleasure and as andy quite rightly said um you know it's almost um well five five weeks ago now i was um delivering a leadership development program in uh, a little town called lincoln and um we tend to do outward bound type events with the team and we have them doing various tasks and then debriefing them and my co uh facilitator lisa was videoing them as they were going through this exercise so we could share it back with them and she caught me in 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 the frame of the camera and when i looked at the video i thought who the hell's that in the corner <laughs> <laughs> and seriously my, my stomach was hanging over my jeans and, and I, I looked shocking so I, I drove home and stood on the scales and when i stood on the scales they said ouch fat boy <laughs> and i was 13 stone four and guys i've never been 13 stone four in my life so i was as you can imagine shocked now i wasn't shaming myself but i was certainly assessing myself and how had i allowed this to happen so that was the moment of revelation that you spoke about andy so you know when there you are there's a situation lots of other people can relate to it not necessarily the same weight, but shock, horror, probe. What? How did you decide what you were going to do? What's what was the plan going to be? 
Yeah, so uh, the, the sort of scale indicated my BMA, um, BMI kind of measured me at just pre-obesity. So I was kind of a bit concerned about that. Now, I'm five foot ten and I was um, 13 stone four, so 186 pounds. That's not a lot, but compared to what I'm used to, it was. So I thought, right, OK, well, I know what to do because I understand nutrition and I understand exercise and I understand where, you know, the body fat goes, basically. Yeah. And uh, I just simply applied all of the knowledge that I knew to do, but had obviously stopped doing. Um, and that's the only reason the weight had gone on. You know, I, uh, I loved cooking and my portion sizes were out of control. And um, I guess the balance of my nutrition wasn't where it needed to be. So the body has no ability to store protein. You know, if we consume too much protein, we simply urinate it out. But we do have the ability to store carbohydrate in the form of fat. So all of that excess body fat was basically um, energy that I had consumed, but not had to need to use. And therefore it was simply being stored. So the process was uh, reduce the volume of intake and increase the level of exercise at a pace and intensity that the body instinctively goes seeking the fat as the primary source of energy first of all so that was the key the key um, aspect if you like educate the body to go seeking its energy not from the food i just consumed but from the fat now andy you're a marathon runner and you'll you'll know this so the body has um a store of immediate energy for emergencies called glycogen and mm -hmm. uh, we store it in the muscles and we store it in the liver so we have about 400 calories worth of glycogen in the in the liver and approximately 1200 calories stored throughout our muscles. And when we wake up in the morning, the natural circadian rhythm is that usually as we start to become awake, we get a spike of cortisol, which is naturally released um, with the purpose that it understands we're about to get out of bed. So it releases and encourages glycogen to be released from the liver and from the muscles so that the muscles can work, get us up out of bed, take us to the bathroom and then start our day. And then that, that cortisol spike drops off and we start then using, um, you know, carbohydrate as a, as a food source um, for the energy that we're doing at low intensity. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you mentioned there, Andy, that, you know, so the, the equation is quite simple. As you say, it's, uh, you know, increase output, decrease input. But there are so many trainers that I've worked with in the past, listened to friends of mine have worked with who basically say to people, you know, almost sort of dismissively, duh, you know, it's move more, eat less. Correct. But it's actually not quite, whilst that is in itself a very simple equation, as you'll know and as you prove, it takes a bit of willpower, doesn't it, to do that and to and actually to have a, a system and a process in place to enable you to achieve that. So what's been the sort of things that you've been doing to make sure that you're in a place where you are able to move more and eat less. Yeah, I've got a couple of clients who had similar issues with their weight. When we were talking about self-image, 
talking about how they um, they identify, you know, do they see themselves as being um, the best that they can be? Or have they still got some work to do to reach a level where they feel they're at optimal performance for themselves? And everyone's different. And a lot of them always talk about, well, actually, I could be doing with losing some weight. So it was interesting. I started having some conversations with them to see what the blockages were, what the blockers were. And if I think about me um, particularly, it was my identity because I didn't see myself as somebody that weighed 186 pounds because um, I'd never weighed that before. So naturally, I was shocked at how I saw myself physically. And then I started to think about how I was feeling about myself. And I was feeling sluggish. I was feeling tired. I wasn't focusing on all the right areas. And weight loss is not simply about eating less and exercising more. There's a lot more to do with it. When we have stressful lives and busy you know, careers and busy jobs, then cortisol plays an impactful role in conserving energy. So the brain is only primarily interested in survival and therefore it's going to want to make sure it's always got enough energy. So if you're under a heavy stress load, cortisol will prevent you losing weight. So the first thing to do is formulate a strategy about how do I relax more? Um, the next thing is hydration because the body needs to be cooled. And often we find we are hungry when actually we're thirsty. So I knew from my extreme endurance days about hydration. So I went back to the good measurement of two and a half liters a day. Yeah. And we can lose two liters a day in a hot room simply by, you know, evaporating it through our breath and through sweating. So the weather we've had recently in the UK <laughs> um, has indicated, you know, three and a half liters uh, has been appropriate for me. Um, but only to do that in the first 10 hours of your waking day. So typically, if you wake at seven in the morning, then you would consume that volume of two and a half liters up until 5 p.m. in the evening. And that way it doesn't disrupt your sleep. And you're not getting up to go to the loo two or three times a night, especially as you get older like me. <laughs> <laughs> because sleep is the other primary important aspect in allowing the body to release excess weight correctly. So we need to have good quality sleep. We need to have good quality stress control and relaxation for the cortisol levels to drop. And then the body will go looking for the fat. The next thing is the quality and quantity of our food intake needs to be sufficient that the body doesn't go into starvation mode. And that's exactly what happens with a lot of these crash diets. You know, they start off immediately at something like 1300 calories when they should be at 2300. So I calculated my uh, calorific requirement based upon my base metabolic rate and the level of activity I was doing. And I started gradually reducing it week by week as the weight came off so that I'm now in a calorie deficit from my nutrition aspect. I'm consuming less than my body needs at rest. Therefore, because it's being fed frequently enough, it's quite comfortable going seeking the fat and converting that. And um, I've increased the level of exercise. So that deficit has become significantly greater. So this week, for example, um, I was on a 12,200 calorie deficit, wow. which, is, which is quite significant. Yeah. Mm. 
But, you know, that's where the weight goes. If the body's converting it and it needs that volume of energy, it's got to go finding it somewhere. So sure. I have a question for you guys. I thought I might challenge you a little bit today. Where, okay. do, where does the fat go? Now you caught me with this when we spoke the other week, Andy. So I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna pass defer, this over one. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. pass this over to my learned friend <laughs> and see if he falls into the trap that I did. <laughs> I, I I would think it drops out of you, as it were. <laughs> uh, you'd be you'd be partially correct, but not completely correct. So the science tells us that the body converts it chemically. Yeah, and. Yeah. We breathe. So if you lose 10 pounds of body fat, you breathe out um, eight pounds and you urinate and sweat the rest. Yeah. Right. So we breathe O2, the chemical symbol for oxygen, right? Oxygen. Yeah, yeah. We evaporate or we breathe out CO2. Yeah. Where does the C come from? Yeah. It's the carbon yeah. we have consumed and the body is not releasing. I'm assuming here, Andy, that the carbon... Now, again, I'm I'm one of the world's worst scientists, just ask my GCSE teachers. But I'm assuming there's a link, if you're saying carbon as in carbon dioxide. Correct. Is there a link there with that and carbohydrates? Correct. So the carbo is sunlight. Sunlight um, makes the plants grow through photosynthesis. Uh, animals eat it. And, uh, you know, if you look at a bull, I mean, that's a quite significant animal, isn't it? But it doesn't yeah. eat protein. So it uses the energy that's created through photosynthesis into the sugars that are into the plants. And then its chemistry converts that into proteins it can use. So effectively, when we exhale carbohydrate, we're ex exhaling the carbon that we consumed in the form of carbohydrate. Right. So, so starchy carbs, you know, we know starchy carbs like potatoes, pasta, bread. Yeah. They're all very dense, calorific um, values with carbohydrate. Yeah, they're high carbohydrate foods. So, so what are you clocking on the scales now then? Um, today, when I stood on the scales, I was exactly 12 stone four. So I've lost a stone in five weeks. That's brilliant. Fantastic. Yeah, and, oh. and, and, you know, I, because I wasn't excessively overweight, then, it, you know, it's harder to lose that weight. So, you know, the, the, the more overweight someone is, the more it drops off very dramatically in the first, you know, month. It wouldn't be unusual for them to lose three or four pounds a week following that kind of strategy. Yes. Because, you know, the body is comfortable that it's not in starvation mode. It's being, I mean, I was eating three meals a day plus two snacks. And I will confess, and I will be honest, you know, that it means that when you understand the nutritional intake, you are completely in control. So I had a pizza. Um, I had a few beers. I had a few glasses of wine. And I had a McDonald's during that time. And I still lost weight. You had me up till McDonald's. There we go. <laughs> Sometimes it's a need. Sometimes yeah. it's a need. You need the cards. Yeah. But, but uh, I mean, in terms of your, we, we mentioned, Andy, that you've not followed any crazy exercise regime either. It's not, you know, that you're sort of sticking on the Rocky Four soundtrack and going out running uh, multi-marathons or doing thousands of crunches and pull-ups. What's been your um, regimen, if you like, in terms of the exercise side of things, which I think is yeah. something that everyone can follow. 
Yeah, absolutely. So there was no gym work. I had no personal trainer. I had, um, I was doing no weights. I was doing no squats. I was doing no push-ups, no sit-ups, no crunches, nothing like that at all. I simply did what every single one of us are capable of doing. And I walked. So, you know, my, my steps were very low. So I decided I would apply 10,000 steps at the exercise intensity that would be in my fat burning zone. And I set out about mapping my days out to allow me to accommodate that. And a couple of clients wanted to join me on the journey and they are very busy. So it wasn't practical for them to do sort of an hour and a half in the morning. So we said, look, you know, if you're working at the correct intensity, then you can do two miles in the morning and you can do two miles in the evening and you'll get your steps in that way at the correct intensity, which will help you to burn fat. And during the course of your day, you hydrate well, you eat healthily, yeah, and um, you manage your stress. And what it does for you is it increases your focus on your nutrition. So you pay more attention to what you're consuming. It increases your attention on your hydration. And you'll be surprised how much energy you get just by simply increasing your hydration to two and a half liters a day. It's a really great way of detoxifying the body because when we are stressed, the cortisol has to leave the body for the fat effect to work. So the water flushes that out. So it helps you improve your sleep focus. It helps you improve your rest focus. Certainly the stress reduction is really good for us because when we're walking, it's well known that it's a good buffer between our um, creative mind and our seat of logic and reasoning. So because it doesn't take any effort of concentration to think about walking, our brain is quite happy to go and do things um, to help itself de-stress, which is great. So Andy, to answer the question, simply increasing my exercise walking steps at the correct intensity to 10,000 a day, which is about five miles yeah, mm -hmm. for most people. And, and as you say, it doesn't have to be in one chunk. People can Absolutely. break that up through the day. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, certainly, I mean, I know yesterday I spent 15 hours in front of the laptop, which is not healthy for anyone. But I'd also bookended that with a, a start, a middle and an end of the day, a walk within there. And certainly because we'd spoken um, previously, Andy, yeah, I got through probably about three, three and a bit litres because it is so warm at the minute, so muggy and close. Um, and normally on a day like that, I would have been mainlining um, the uh, high caffeine coffee you know the coffee beans i've got are sort of the equivalent of three cans of red bull in a cup yeah i had one cup of regular coffee first thing in the morning yesterday and then water for the rest of the day and actually it had the same effect as if i'd been pumping all that coffee into me which i would have been doing a month or two ago prior to us speaking when we did on the phone and that's a good point actually so the other thing i've i've um encouraged my clients to consider is that when you wake up in the morning, that's the right time to exercise before you actually eat or drink anything, because um, insulin is at its lowest level because you're fasted effectively. You know, you probably haven't eaten since seven o'clock the previous evening. So you're basically fasted for 12 hours. Um, insulin is very low. So your blood sugar level is low. When you start exercising, then if you go for a two mile walk or two and a half mile walk, which at the pace I was talking to the, my clients about is approximately 14 minutes a mile. So it's about 120 paces a minute, a brisk walk, yeah, at which you can still hold a conversation if you're talking to someone, if you're doing it with your partner. So a brisk walk for um, 35 minutes in the morning 
and then come back and eat. And your body is automatically burning that fat because there is no carbohydrate for it to use um, because you've been fasted. So you're not using the glycogen because you're working below the aerobic level. Um, you're working at a low intensity and the body's very happy to go and do what it needs to do and just convert that fat for you. So that's a great way to start the day off. Um, and, and it also gives you allowed to, uh, you know, a nice way of contemplating your day. So in your two mile walk, you can think about your strategy for your day, get yourself into that kind of um, the mindset of achievement. Um, and you get that little spurt of dopamine, that little feel good factor for having got a result, but also the expectation that I'm going to have a good day. Mm, yes, yeah, starting the day positively and, and sort of see how it how it ripples from there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can listen to your favorite podcast if you like, and you can listen to audiobooks if you wish. But it's a really great time at the start of the day just for getting your your cognitive functions all aligned in the direction you want to go for the day and not be kickstarting your day with the stress mindset of, you know, here I go again. So are you, are you now, would you say to anybody, this is perfectly, you know, you use social media quite a bit, don't you? Mm. And, and you get good feedback from that, do you? People supportive and asking questions. You know, but I, I saw an image you put today about, uh, I think it, you were saying, lose the prison officer that's kind of restricting you explain yeah. that a bit i yes. haven't explained that very well but explain it sure so my post today was was a facebook post i posted on facebook and linkedin today but um it was a picture of a, a man standing there with a keyhole in the middle of his chest and he's holding a key in his in his fingers and the um the meme says if you will not challenge your own limiting beliefs you remain your own effective prison guard and uh, I was saying to clients, you know, it's it's about allowing yourself to to shine. It's about allowing yourself to believe in your potential. Um, and when we do that, when we sack the prison guard, when we close down the negative um, and limiting beliefs, it liberates us and it allows us to consider our potential. And to be a bit, little bit more challenging about the words we say about ourselves as to whether we believe we can or we believe we can't. So, you know, people with a weight issue, and I see many people when I'm out, you know, putting my own mileage in and they're, you know, they're running along there, pounding the pavement and they're looking very beetroot in the face and they look like they're struggling and not enjoying the process. And if you don't enjoy the process, you won't stick with it. Yeah. You know, that's why diets don't work. People don't enjoy the diets because it's not sustainable and therefore they don't stick to it. And lo and behold, the weight comes back on. Yeah, so it's about having a positive mindset around what you're doing, and I guess Andy, uh, Tony, to you know, my clients, they trust me, I suppose. So I've got the luxury of having earned that trust already. So you know that they they know the information is sound, and they know I'm actually walking the walk and talking the talk. Absolutely right, and I can see that through social media. But equally, you know, what next, Andy, would be the question? You've achieved something there that's really important to you, and well done. But will you now readjust so you don't go back into where you were before? Is that the lesson learned in there? Yeah, I haven't stopped yet. So my ideal weight will be 11 stone seven, 11 yeah. and a half stone. So I've got another stone to go. Ideally, yeah. I'm going to get down to about 11, five. So and the thing is, what weight loss is not linear because, you know, your hydration, sometimes we retain more water. So the scales may not tell the truth. 
um, week to week. But also, as you do more exercise, you increase the muscle mass. So as you're losing body fat, your muscle density is increasing. So you're actually carrying a little bit more muscle weight. So you can see the difference. And um, and I'm looking forward to being able to see that difference, you know, in another four or five weeks time when I hit the ideal goal. Brilliant. Yeah. Will you at that point get your colleague who took the original photo that kickstarted this to take another one? And you'll almost have that before, <laughs> before and after to absolutely. remind yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. But I'll know myself because I'm, yeah. you know, I've, I've seen the changes. I've, I, I feel the significant change in energy for sure. You know, I'm more focused. I'm more energetic. I'm sleeping much better than I was. Um, I just have more energy throughout the whole day um, simply from that focus. And I don't know, you know, any of my clients that wouldn't benefit from it. You know, I, I work with some uh, quite successful clients in their corporate careers, but they are immensely stressed. Um, and, you know, to whom much is is given in the form of salary. Well, unfortunately, much is expected in, in, in the form of returns and, and results. So, yeah, I think, you know, they a, are... a pound of flesh has its uh, meaning in more than a, more, more than one way, doesn't it? I mean, so, one of the things that if people look at your social media, Andy, they would say that, you know, the the part of the world you're in and the walks you are able to do are in a, a beautiful setting along the uh, along the canal and the river mm. there in uh, in West Yorkshire. But irrespective of where anyone is, this is something that anyone can get out and do, isn't it? You know, you, put you, one foot you in front can, of the you, other. You're absolutely right, Andy. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. If you're on a business trip and you're staying in a city centre hotel, you know, provided you've got a reasonable pair, pair of shoes, you can simply walk. Um, you can get your stopwatch on your phone, set it for a minute and get into a brisk pace where you're walking 120 paces per minute. And I guarantee you that will be round about 14 minutes per mile. You sustain that for two miles. You go a mile in one direction. So you're basically walking for 14 minutes in one direction. You turn around and you go 14 minutes back. And that's your exercise done for the morning. Yeah. You know, so in principle, we're talking five miles a day. So two and a half in the morning, two and a half in the evening or two in the morning and three at night. It's entirely up to you how you do it. And anybody can do that anywhere in the world. Now, talking talking about that, clearly the you're a busy man you've got plenty of clients but the people may be going to be hearing this for the first time saying tell you what i like the sound of all of that how do they best get in contact with you andy how's the best way of doing that they can connect through social media on facebook or, or linkedin i'm quite um quite vocal on linkedin and, and you know supporting a lot of clients through linkedin that's probably probably the best the best route to drop me a message or a messenger on facebook very happy to respond to any social media approach and um, if you guys put a link in the show, then that's great. We'll, we'll, we'll work on that. But, you know, I'd be happy to help anybody. It's not rocket science. You know, you can do it. If they want their hand held through the process, very happy to coach them through the process. Yeah, I think that's Brilliant. very useful, very useful insight. And I, again, you know, in terms of the image through social media, you're not the big I am. That's not how you're trying to portray yourself. And I think that's exactly your personality, but it, it comes through on social media really well, I would suggest. Thank you know, you. and obviously I'm I'm somebody who is regularly exercising. So I take note of the of the things you're doing. I don't do all the same things, but I am nevertheless consistent. I say of myself boringly consistent, but every day my first We just say boring. Yeah, just boring, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. Yeah, but you know, but every day the first thing I do is put my kit on. So that's my first commitment. 
And I've just, and I think I said it before we started recording, I've just moved to one day a week where all I'll do on Thursday is swim. And I'm rewarding myself with a day's rest and slightly changing the routines I've been doing because I was starting to feel, and somebody said to me, you know, you've got to listen to your body. And that's true. And occasionally, even though I'm into fitness very much, it's quite useful to have somebody else coming in the other, other ear saying, remember this. And as a result, over this last week, that's picked up my energy levels. I probably am drinking more, and clearly the weather forces that as well. But I feel more energy release. So all the things you're saying to anybody who's listening, saying, I might try that. The simplest thing you say is one foot in front of the other. Right. There is a bit there is a bit more to the nutrition because you've got to make sure you've got the proper macronutrients in there. So I'm happy to explain that to them. Um, just a case of making sure you prioritize the protein intake and reduce the carbohydrate. Um, and it, you make sure you get the healthy fats in because we need that as well. You know, our brain needs omega threes and omega nine. So I can demystify any of that for someone if they're interested. I heard a great one this week, Andy, that might that you might like. It was um, someone talking about that and they were saying, Whilst um, calories are king, then protein is the queen. Mm. I quite liked that, you know, looking at your calorie levels, but then making sure that you're hitting your protein, protein levels at, a, 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 you know, sort of 40 percent of those calories. And, and, yeah, and yeah, you know, that. let's think about it genetically. We evolved as hunter gatherers. So we were not sprinters. We're not designed to catch fast food. You know, we can't catch a cheetah. It's too fast for us, but we can wear it down over a long distance. And that's exactly what we did. You know, when we were hunters on the plains of Africa, we we, mar we we sort of speed marched after animals that we were tracking for days until we wore them down. So mm. we have the ability. It's a natural process that our body instinctively understands and exact knows exactly how to use our energy resources. Fantastic. Really appreciate your time again tonight. Lovely seeing you. You're always welcome on Dollar Void. And we'll send you, obviously, the link for this, as I normally do on a weekly basis. You're part of my elite group that I send the podcast out to, uh, to make sure that you can spread it to the network that you want. And we will stress within our uh, setup uh, the links to you so that people can follow that through. Really appreciate your time. Thanks, mate. Thanks for being with us. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Andy. Thanks, Andy. Well, lovely again hearing from Andy. Some really sensible advice as ever from him. And also the personal story. Uh, as I said, rather than the big I am, he's saying, hang on, I got a bit of a state myself and I sorted myself out. This is how I did it. And the science that went alongside the exercise itself. Very, very useful. Always delivered in such a, a nice way. So uh, brilliant, uh, Andy McMenemy. Yeah, really enjoyed that. And if ever anyone sort of absolutely epitomizes in this case, particularly walking the talk, that was Andy, you know, with his uh, his methodology for for achieving these results. So brilliant. Quite right, too. So that brings us to the end of episode 106. And yeah, again, as we said in the contacts, tell us where you listen and the time and the place. We love all of that. That's how podcasts work, because you choose that time and the place and uh, listen out for the contact details at the end of the podcast. And we look forward to being with you, of course, next week. See you later. Cheerio, folks. Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. 
If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on n and v at forthenow.co.uk.